no matter what industry you're in, I will bet that you can find much more value and lifetime in your materials and products. You're listening to this podcast, probably because I asked you to. Well, now that you're here, congratulations. You already know what circular business models are and why we need them. Seems like you're also ready to explore how to make them happen. In this podcast, I talk to practitioners and academics that have found solutions on how to make circular business models happen. Welcome to Circular That How. This episode is about how to successfully develop upcycled products. In academia, policy, the term upcycling is usually used to describe recovery of materials or products into a higher quality of value compared with its original state. In practice, upcycling is used more broadly as an umbrella term for different recovery strategies, such as reuse or repair of products or recycling of materials. So upcycled products are products that contain at least some share of waste or end-of-life materials. This can extend the lifetime of the waste or end-of-life materials and therefore reduce overall waste and increase material efficiency. In this episode, we will learn about how to make upcycling happen in a business. We will talk about the right mindset to make upcycling happen, what is important to consider to capture environmental and business benefits, and about the low-hanging fruits, so opportunities where it is easier to capture business and environmental benefits. I have the pleasure to have Martin Riesen-Nielsen as my guest today. Martin has been involved in developing upcycling products for many years. He works as an engineer and developer at Lenier Group in Copenhagen. Lenier Group is a Danish company that is spearheading circular economy implementation in the building sector. All products that Lenier sells are developed from waste or end-of-life materials. So these are upcycling products such as facade panels with reused bricks and windows with reused glass. Taking the example of windows with reused glass, they have managed to bring down CO2 equivalent emissions by 77% compared to conventional windows that are made with new glass. And this while also having a successful business. So let's dive into how they make upcycling happen in their business. Martin, it's fantastic to have you because I've been really impressed with your work at Lenia. You're an engineer and product developer, but how I have experienced you, you're also a passionate environmentalist. And what you do differently in your work is that all the products you develop are from upcycled materials that would otherwise go to waste. And you have plenty of experience. Can you tell us about some of the products that you have developed that you're excited about? And maybe also tell us a bit about the impact they created. Yeah, sure. So products that we are developing right now include plastics, textiles, wood, window, concrete. A lot of the materials that are both coming from inside the built environment when you're demolishing houses, the materials that are left there are today for most uh, being washed together, either being a landfill or being uh, put into to road, road building. Uh, so that's one sector where we are putting a lot of our energy, but also outside the built environment, we have a lot of very interesting projects and products coming from one industry going into another. One project Martin especially cares about is upcycling of textiles. The textile industry is incredibly resource intensive and polluting with many sustainability challenges throughout the entire value chain. In Denmark alone, there are every year 40,000 tons of textile waste. Most of this is incinerated. These are major problems, but Martin and Lenier Group managed to turn these into an opportunity. Listen to this. 
for us, we of course, uh, we see a problem, but we also see a potential. And the potential here is that the fibers are, even though that they are, they are not suitable for human uh, humans anymore, they are still insulating our buildings very well. So um, what we're doing right now is to take the textile that otherwise would have been wasted, putting it into um, a process where we thread it back into fibers and press it into bats where we can create a, a very unique unique and functional acoustic panel or insulation material. And first mentioned acoustic panels is not yeah. something that you might see or think so much about, but in, in most buildings today, you need acoustic um, functionalities. So Martin also explained that it is of course key that upcycled products are competitive in price and functionality. But if this is accomplished, then upcycled products can easily outcompete conventional products. They can be much more attractive to customers because they have a unique storyline. It is exciting for customers or users to be part of a system change or to know the history of materials. Sounds good. So I was asking Martin how big he thinks the potential for upcycling actually is. How many missed opportunities for upcycling are there in our economy? Here's what he said. You can find it everywhere. Knowing for now quite a few industries here in Denmark, I can see potential for so many different material flows. And the potential really lies within the fact that so many of our resources, we are putting a lot of effort, energy and economy into actually developing. And then we're just giving it such a small lifetime right. and create something new. So why not get the full value out of what we actually already have put energy into. A good example is, is plastic. We, uh, as you know, we have that everywhere. Yeah. And in, in Denmark, we have a consumption on plus 400,000 tons plastic per year. And um, more than two thirds of that is, is also wasted within a year. And as you might know, plastic is a material and product in general that can last for hundreds of years. So yeah. why are we wasting so much of it? It's, it's really a good way to frame it that it's just a missed opportunity. Here we have a material that's so doable, functional, and then we use it for less than a year. That's just one case out of many. So no matter what industry you're in, I will bet that you can find much more value and lifetime in your materials and products. Right. So you're saying the opportunities are abundant and it's more about finding new applications. So as you were saying from textiles, developing acoustic panels that are used really on scale in buildings. So about finding these opportunities and finding new applications, I'm really curious about how is developing products from waste materials different compared with developing them from virgin material? The difference between the virgin and the waste material input is that we are in most cases a bit more uh, limited in the, the design opportunities. So where you will start a normal design uh, process, you would look at a demand, look at a user and see what are their needs. And then you would have whatever uh, imaginary material in the world to fit that uh, need uh, and make it into a product. Here we are starting with only one material and that is kind of uh, what we have to work with. And then we want to make a fit with that out in the market. So we have a constraint that are the material and then we need to find a purpose for that. And for me, I, I see it also as a good way of actually um, limiting your, um, your development process. Having uh, a million opportunities in the first place is not always a good thing because uh, how do you choose then? Uh, having uh, just one material and, and its properties to work with is, 
in many cases for me uh, actually a way of actually making it as good as possible with what you have and that's of course a very different way of thinking if we were looking into um, a development uh, team in in any other company you are a bit more constrained but but that's uh, fantastic that you're sharing that about the mentality that you need to think in opportunities but that you don't have the same possibilities as starting from scratch with virgin materials but that these limitations actually also provide opportunities in the design process and somehow even streamline your design process for sure and if you then could you tell us a bit more about your workflow you've already said you need to find an opportunity, mm-hmm. but how do you go about testing and then refining your idea until a final product? So that's, uh, that's a fun part. And um, starting from the beginning, uh, how do you spot an opportunity? Yeah. I'm very fortunate that um, I work in a place, an established company uh, here in Lena that already have quite a good reputation out there. And we are in a market, uh, we are in Denmark and Northern Europe where there's all, already a, a quite a good focus on circular economy. At least it's coming. So we actually have a lot of customers coming to us mm-hmm. almost on the needs, begging us to help them because they, they see themselves as uh, one of the traditional businesses and having a lot of waste. Yeah. So, uh, for most cases nowadays, we have a lot of companies coming to us. That's a bonus because you have, have it that way around. You also yeah. know that you actually have somebody uh, in your back that, um, that really want to help push this out. Mm-hmm. But of course, it also comes from uh, from uh, identifying opportunities and, and other waste streams. Um, and it's important for us that we are working with the right clients that are having the same uh, values as we have and also just focusing on our time. There are so many uh, waste streams out there. Mm-hmm. From a climate change point of view, we are we need to work around the clock to do uh, to make a change in in, in what we're seeing today. Uh, so we need to take the low hanging fruit first. We need to take uh, the places where we can simply save much CO, uh, most CO two in the shortest amount of time because that's a part of our mission. It's great you're bringing that up, and we can talk about that a little bit more in detail later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm coming back to then the, the workflow is I mean, we have a partner, uh, a waste stream, a material fraction. Mm-hmm. Testing is indeed in line in all parts of this process. Uh, that's my everyday. That's my job testing. What we're doing is new in order to ensure that we are doing something that actually are working and having an impact in the end. We need to get that somehow identified. So testing, but testing from from many different angles. I think the main part of our process and workflow that I want to um, introduce is the the set of uh, glasses, I normally call it. It's called uh, MIT, uh, stands for Market Implementation and Technology. Three uh, three set of glasses that you can put on and look at the problem or the solution from three different angles that ensures you have a market where somebody actually desires what you're making. Mm -hmm. You have uh, the right technology that's actually feasible for it to make it happen and you have a um, implementation strategy you have a supply chain set up so you can actually get it to market and even though it sounds simple then, then just having this mindset from day one and your process ensures that all the steps we're going through we are not going round, uh, going down a, a dead end and that will end up with a product that we waste a lot of time on that doesn't have the right impact or, or no uses and then just an overall thing is of course uh, getting hands dirty I am uh, very fortunate that I have a desk with a computer where I can where you still use most of my time doing analysis but in the same time I have 
a big warehouse next door where I can actually take the material, test it and do prototypes and bring it up to the office, showing it to an architect, showing it to a sales manager and saying, what do you think about this? Having this going back and forth from the desktop research and the, the workshop is as well. Well, Martin, yeah, it sounds a lot of fun to work that way and also really effective in testing and re prototyping in yeah, probably just fast learning cycles. It was great to hear that you are reaffirming this business opportunity that companies are coming to you with potential waste streams that you could make products about. But I'm also thinking that Probably this is because in circular economy in Denmark is, is growing the interest also because you have worked a lot on marketing in the last years and a lot on awareness raising and developing customer relationships and you have gotten a name in the industry. So that's uh, probably already a result of many years of very good work. Yeah. And it was great to hear about the testing criteria that you're using because we know that environmental benefits do not come by default from upcycling, but they need to be actively pursued. And it seems that's really something you have integrated in your workflow also through the through your testing approaches and the MIT method that we can also link a little bit more information on the website too. If we then look a little bit more in detail on the environmental benefits that are so important, and you also say we need to work all around the clock to address climate change. And from your experience, what is then most important to consider when developing products from waste what's really important to secure the environmental benefit yeah first of all i'm so lucky that it's embedded in the way that we think in the organization here in linear so it's something that i almost not have to, to think about it's something that is just automatically on my mind in all the things that i'm doing but going outside our organization and when we need to convince partners or suppliers or customers there is a big need for having an objective uh, way of assessing uh, a line uh, on what is what is actually the environmental benefits it's unfortunately and that's a problem for climate change in general it is such a complex topic yeah looking at the products that we are making and all the other products that i'm seeing that have uh, some kind of environmental mindset or history behind it right can almost always frame it in the way that you want it. And as an engineer, that's a bit uh, frustrating. So we have a lot of tools and we use them and that would be my best consideration. So yeah. LCA, LCC, uh, DGNB, uh, different methods, life cycle assessment is today the best way to make sure that you are doing uh, something that actually have a good environmental impact on in all of its life cycle. But the standards for how to make a LCA and what you include and what you exclude is unfortunately to my knowledge, it's, it's so easy to, to bend, even though you then would need to have a third-party uh, validation in, in most cases. It's still, it can still be a complex uh, way to communicate and identify what's the best. I hope that we are getting, first of all, closer to a common standard on how you measure environmental impacts. But for us, I think the main thing today is as long as what we are using have otherwise ended up in the incineration plants, right. in most cases, it's almost always better to give it a second life to thereby save virgin materials. But of course, what we are doing in, in all the products that we are making is making LCAs 
on the products, uh, comparing it to the alternatives out there, and having uh, make sure that we have the the newest knowledge from uh, partners like the Danish technical universities or, or others that have quite good knowledge within. Uh, yeah. Like something. Well, and just to clarify, this is something you do from the beginning of product development to, to already assess the impact of prototypes. Yes. Right. One looking already from from the first uh, concepts is actually a way here also from an environmental point of view is key. Right. And something that you need to pay attention to is then maybe adding additional materials to develop a product. I've seen you in your work struggle with fire retardants, for instance, because oh, yes. they have a high environmental impact. Don't mention that. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's indeed also where we are interconnected with other partners that we then need to convince to be having the same agenda. Fire retardants are such a good example of that. Uh, yeah. There is certain regulations that we should follow. Uh, and of course, we want to create products that are safe in regards to uh, to the current fire demands yeah but then going into the industry of chemical producers that are creating uh, fire additives their sustainability is almost something that's coming from a dream or something they may have heard of but uh, definitely not are working with and luckily that's not true for all there's also a transition there yeah it's hard to uh, find the the few ones that are actually yeah the same agenda as us uh, just a big part of our business as well is that we uh, we cannot do it everything ourselves here. We are very rely uh, relying on uh, partners, buyers. Identifying the right one there is is key to all the projects we're doing. Okay, that's also really interesting, finding those partners that also have changed their product designs to be more sustainable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have had so many good examples of products, upcycled products, that have very convincing environmental benefit. Mm -hmm. What is your experience? What are low-hanging fruits? From an example uh, of plastic, again here, we have uh, had a, a great product development process running for, for a year now where we are taking some of these endless amount of plastics that are, are out there yeah and here we are introducing um, a plastic facade the facade uh, today is a low-hanging fruit because they have um, they doesn't have the same uh, functional requirements as, as many other building materials so as, as mentioned the most buildings today are made out of concrete with a facade that is just for the architecture of the building itself right uh, so having a facade system where we can put it up without needing a, a whole lot of regulations is the easiest way for us to start hopefully uh, in a few years we hope that we can create building materials so you can actually have the complete construction in in waste materials and i can also let you in on the secret that we are working yeah. a lot on that today in many other uh, projects but as it is for now the low-hanging fruits is identifying the materials in a building where you have high volumes and and the least regulations in regards to to strength and fire and stuff like that because it's it's just a very costly and time-consuming uh, thing to to get approved that's a super interesting observation and i'm sure this is also something that could be valid in other sectors if you work in a different sector maybe starting with product applications that have the least regulation for using waste materials and then in the same time of course then challenge the regulations as well and we are also doing that, having this lobby work where we are telling the government uh, and the politicians that you say that you want circular uh, solutions. You say you want to do something to minimize our CO2 emissions. Well, then you also have to, to change something in, in the way that you, you make the regulations for it to actually work. Yeah, that's a good addition. 
also because for policymakers, it is not easy to know exactly what should be changed if they don't have the feedback from industry. For sure. Really great. So what is important for securing business benefits? Again, having um, the mindset of looking at also the, the economy uh, in the beginning. So what are we, uh, what material do we have here and uh, what could it potentially become into and how does the market look for that? Yeah. Uh, going for, want to make the textiles into uh, insulation, for instance, we see that that market is already having some very big players and they, they have the advantage of economies of scale. Right. So it's so hard to compete there and again it's also insulation is not a very sexy product i can tell you uh, it's something that uh, a developer you only think of one thing what is the functionality of how it's insulating yeah. and what size of it so our story that is also a part of our unique selling points have no reasoning for a guy that wants to buy insulation for uh, for a big building. So that's maybe not the first product we want to introduce to the market, at least not before we have the benefits of economy of scale and have uh, can see we can have the capacity and the amount of the material to actually ramp up a production where we can then get a price. And that's always in. We want to compete on price as well. Mm -hmm. But for some products, it's just harder if they are not uh, sexy. Yeah, so in regards to, to adapting your... Um, your product portfolio to the market is is relevant for for any company i would say um, but for us it's especially relevant because we are limited by the material fraction itself so if we have a certain plastic fraction uh, yeah. our uh, our overall mission would be to get most most of this plastic uh, give most of that a new uh, second life and um, save as much uh, co2 or or have another environmental impact. So uh, for us, it would not be a success if we then manage to uh, reach a niche market where we can only uh, sell uh, a little fraction of this material, even though right. it might give us good money. Uh, so yeah. we need to identify, the, there needs to be a, a fit with the amount of material available yeah. and the, the market size. What would be important there to consider from a business perspective? So in every uh, development process, we have we have a look at both the um, potential um, supply chain, the sales channels, the customers, and the market from day one. And what we are really looking at here is, of course, to to sell as as much as possible, uh, but more in the sense that we are matching the amount of material, waste material available with the market and the demand on the market. For us, it's not a success if we are only managing to uh, to sell a small fraction of the, um, the material that are available as waste even though it might be of a with a good uh, turnover for us it's only a success if we can actually manage to give new life to all of the material and that's why it's so important to find the right market and the right product for that or, or even make a product portfolio so we can make sure that when we have covered uh, all the facades with uh, with plastic we can then uh, go and make a new plastic product that can be used for interior products or something else so so we always ensure that there is yeah. a need for for what we are actually making and matching that well, thanks for sharing that. That indeed seems really relevant. And if you then have a last take on what is the low hanging fruits in regarding business benefits, are there any material streams that have strong business value? Oh yeah, that's a good one. I wish I would have the speed overview of that because then we would know what we were to work for. Yeah, where to start with. In general, talking about the material, all material is quite easy. 
and I really mean that from a technical point of view, most of the materials we have in our everyday life can easily be uh, recirculated and, and have a, a business case. It just depends on um, the design process you put on top of it and the, the final product that you want to make it into. So the hard part is, as mentioned before, just matching it with the, the right product. And the building industry in, in, in general, there is, is just a good place. Uh, we are having a lot of what you can say quite simple or dumb products or where you have not a lot of um, complexity in your geometries or your material fractions and you have it in very big volumes. On Denmark and the world in general, we are building more and more. So uh, we can see that there's, uh, it's not tomorrow that we are running out of uh, potential uh, new waste to value products within the building. It's a really good note to end up on and uh, that there is plenty of business uh, potential and that it just depends on the design process that you put on it. But most materials are quite easy to give new life, especially when you use it for an application, a product that is not very complex. What are your favorite tools or softwares that you use in your work to make upcycling happen? Uh, I like that you're also uh, emphasizing softwares. And of course, there are good softwares out there. But uh, my favorite tools are definitely the physical ones. Yeah. The ones that are done in the workshop. Great. Uh, what do you have there? Well, uh, you should come and, and see, see it. Quite simple workshop, actually. But just the fact that having a um, place, for instance, for plastics, uh, where normally when you are doing a development or making new uh, plastic products, you uh, you would need to have an investment of uh, plus 100,000 Danish kroner on making a mold and very big machinery like injection molding machines and screwers mm-hmm. to, uh, and have a long, long lead time on that. And then you can maybe test one thing and then it takes you 10 weeks and then you have one result you can then test where we in our work, uh, workshop have uh, some small machines bought to to less than uh, 20,000 Danish kroner that can do the same uh, basically uh, with a, a oven and a shredder and different things you can mimic the big scale uh, production methods of course you cannot make big volume of course it will not have the same tolerances but you can get a product out of it that you can touch and you can show and then you can bring to a testing facility and test it for anything like fire or weathering and stuff like that so having machinery that can make you test your idea in a short amount of time is making them this agile development process so much super interesting and a really good addition to what you have already explained about your workflow and the testing process and then martin do you have any last call for action is there anything that listeners could you so could support you with or any new projects that are coming up that you would like us to follow i have many calls and hopes for action but i think on a more personal level what i also want to emphasize uh, for for all no matter uh, what role position or industry you're in is change the way we think and work and here as i've been touching a bit upon is is to acknowledge that the solutions that we we need uh, today is not found behind behind a desk and um, i think i can say that because i'm from the engineering field uh, traditional point of view an engineer would think that the solution to climate change and, and other big problems is done by making a, a thorough uh, 
scientific analysis with a lot of heavy theories, mm -hmm. long uh, scientific papers to commu uh, communicate it. Uh, mm -hmm. For some, uh, it is also true, but for me more, uh, I think the solution uh, lies out in the real world, uh, talking with real people. They are the one that uh, that need and we are making the solution for in the end. Get out uh, of the comfortable uh, office uh, and away from your desk. Right. That's a fantastic call uh, for action and I also recommend to follow Linnea website actually because there are so many inspiring examples and I wish you so much good luck with your next projects and uh, yeah I look forward to seeing so many more clever inventions of making products from waste materials and thank you so much for sharing anytime thank you Julia follow Linnea on social media LinkedIn Twitter Facebook to stay updated on new projects and products and get in touch with them if you're interested to collaborate Thank you so much for listening. I hope it was useful for you. You can help me make this podcast circulate. But how? Well, give it a like, share it with someone or send me a message. All feedback is welcome, even compliments. 